Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for joining us on Toronto today for Wednesday, July 20th. The Heat, a big story still in the GTA. Not a record breaker on Tuesday, but pretty close. Toronto was the hottest place in Canada yesterday uh, on Tuesday. So we'll talk about uh, where that weather is going to go and when we'll get a break from the incredibly humid temperatures. And um, for some, they don't mind it. And for some, it's a big, big problem for various reasons. Josh Matlow, City Councilor, will join us on the news that perhaps we'll have a stronger amount of powers for the mayor of Toronto, whether that remains John Tory or not going for Josh Matlow has thoughts on that. So do we. And Shiba Siddiqui and I on Hockey Canada and its latest controversy was some groundbreaking uh, journalism done by the Globe and Mail on Tuesday on two fronts. One, that Hockey Canada had a fund that was going to pay out and did in this case pay out um, alleged sexual assault victims that was using uh, registration money from young players and old players alike into the Hockey Canada system. And as well, the decision by lawyers of seven players uh, in this particular uh, group, the World Junior Group, uh, not all of whom are involved in the alleged uh, assault, but that the text messages and video revealed by these players and what it says about this case potentially going forward. It's all coming up next. Toronto Today begins now. Let me start here. Um, I found this really intriguing, and I really am a political animal junkie, whatever, at heart. So when there's a story that pops in the Toronto Star, Doug Ford to give greater U.S.-style powers to mayors of Toronto and Ottawa. Well, I'm really interested in that one because not just for the fact that I'm always thinking that mayors don't have the same powers that I see anywhere else. Even I noticed the mayor of London in the United Kingdom talking about the fires and the heat and whatnot. He's got a big voice and he can make a lot of change in a city like London. Um, I don't know who the mayor of Paris is. I don't know who the mayor of Tokyo is. I don't know who the mayor of Sydney is, but I don't think those people in those cities know who the mayor of Toronto is. That's not how it's supposed to work. Your, your job is to be hyper local and you put city first and your job is to be there for each and every resident of the city of Toronto. And I think that actually the powers that we're discussing, and especially when it seems to come to financial matters and when it seems to come to building homes and the quote unquote affordable housing crisis, I'm actually all for the mayor having a little more power. But I have two big questions about this particular issue, and I'm going to get to those in just a couple minutes. But let's hear, let's hear exactly. The, the second intriguing thing to me is this relationship between Doug Ford and John Tory, lest we forget they ran against each other for mayor. Doug stepping in for his ailing, scandal-plagued, but ailing brother at the time, Rob Ford, who was a two-term mayor seeking a third term. But remember also, July of 2018, we're getting to the anniversary of the, the reveal that as it, I wouldn't say we were in the heart of the campaign at the time municipally, but in 2018, signs are going up, debates are being planned, doors are being knocked on in essence, and then Doug Ford arbitrarily swoops down, helicopters down, and says, you got to cut city council. And the number I recall is 48 or 47 down to 25. Just 25 city councilors. I want you to hear, and this shows the progress and evolution. Relationships evolve, don't they? Professionally, personally. I want you to hear how 
angry John Tory is the next morning at Doug Ford specifically for the idea of cutting city council. The bedrock of that democracy is fair process, that the people always have an opportunity to be heard by their government. And that's why when elections are meddled with, when the very rules that guide them are upset mid-campaign, people, regardless of their political stripe, are rightly angry. This is a gigantic decision about the future of Toronto. Like many of you, I read news reports last night about changes that are being proposed to the size of Toronto City Council, the largest city in the country, the fourth largest city in North America. I then spoke to Premier Ford and told him in no uncertain terms that the process around this stunning and massive change is absolutely not right. Okay, so he's ticked off. And I remember a lot of people being ticked off at the time. Now, I'd ask you this. There's two things on that level. One, does city council operate perhaps more efficiently and perhaps was some fat needed to be trimmed there? Maybe so. Maybe so. I'm inclined to say yes rather than no. We're going to ask Josh Matlow, city councilor, and obviously he was, he's been city councilor for well over a decade, I think coming up on 15, 16 years now. I think this would either be his fourth term or he's finishing his fourth term. We'll ask him that at 8.05 this morning on Toronto Today. But even if we say that fat needed to be trimmed and it's a more efficient, lean, mean fighting machine, what you can't make the argument about is the timing of it. And the timing seemed insensitive. The timing seemed chaotic. And the timing also seemed personal. Like, here's Doug Ford, now Premier of the province, for like, what, a minute? Okay, a month. Another, uh, who's to argue between a month and a minute? Swooping down, helicoptering down, as I noted, and just kind of li- little bit of a little bit of an uptick of the middle finger to the city of Toronto and the people of Toronto because they didn't elect him mayor, and maybe he felt at the time his younger brother didn't get the most fair treatment from an electorate who, I don't know, elected him twice, his brother. Now, how I view this is a different story. How I view this is of intrigue and actually encouragement here because clearly the John Tory-Doug Ford relationship, what's the word we used earlier, has had some evolution. Here they are speaking at a joint press conference, Doug Ford specifically on how helpful and how important and valuable John Tory's been to Doug Ford doing his job. I also want to thank uh, Mayor Tory for working collaboratively uh, for for many years, especially over the last two years with the pandemic. And there's so many great things that when we work together uh, on the municipal side and the provincial and federal, we get great things uh, done. And he's been such an important, important, uh, you know, uh, role model and mentor. Uh, You know, if there's there's a tough question. I'll pick up the phone and call Meritori. He has a lot of experience, and I just appreciate his leadership. So I've heard a couple criticisms of this, and I'm curious to get your read of it at 289-975-1640 on text. 289-975-1640. Should we be a more powerful city in Toronto? Should the mayor have more powers than he has right now? And the second, ob- that's my question for you, and the second observation I have is I can't help but laugh. Laugh. At the concept that, oh, U.S. style powers, fascism's coming to Toronto, centralized power. Yet the city probably should have more centralized power. What I'm willing to listen to, you shouldn't have to go, you know, begging the province, as we, by the way, saw during the whole pandemic, for money here and money there. 
Eventually, you get tired of going to mom and dad for allowance, right? When you're a teenager, you want your own gig. You want your own job. You know what it was like when you had a part-time job and that first check came in. You were like, ha, don't need to go to mom and dad every time I want to go out with my friends, go on a date, put gas in the car, have fun, do whatever. And the city, probably a city the size of Toronto, deserves that. But I have two observations. One, this should be happening in more than just Toronto and Ottawa. And, and don't get me started on the current Ottawa mayor. Thank heavens he's leaving. And what's he still doing there now? But we probably do need more centralized power. And I hear people all the time about the states. Now, maybe some people don't like the states or they don't travel to the states or they have no experience living in the states. But I'm telling you, things do get done. There's less bureaucracy. There's less red tape. There's less tax dollars that go to slush funds. And there's less tax dollars that just seem to go and spin the drain going nowhere. We pay a lot more taxes. They do. And they get more done. Why is that? I don't mind if the mayor is a bigger personality. Here's the question I think is an important one. I'm all for getting rid of the bureaucracy. But just maybe, maybe we need city council and the mayor together to be stronger. Maybe we need that. Adam Vaughn, former liberal MP, wrote cities need new powers, not mayors. And he's right. We do need to be a stronger city. But don't put all that power at the foot of one man or one woman. Maybe don't do that. But I'm for investigating this and I'm for the concept of considering this. This isn't working right now. And we just seem stuck on things that aren't working. And when I see, oh, we can't be like the U.S. Again, you have you ever sat have you sat in an emergency room in the last four, uh, four weeks, six weeks and you wait 11 hours? Heaven forbid we have a U.S. style emergency room. Have you found it tough to, you know, go go forward and, and fight through bureaucracy and open a business or ask for a grant or get a loan? Well, they have less trouble doing that in the United States of America. So ask yourself why we're so critical of them. And we just look into our chest and we see something that nobody else sees. OK, we got to tr- we did need probably to trim some fat way back when. And we need to at least consider this option. But I don't want it to go all to the mayor. I want the city council to be stronger as well. I want a stronger city. Who wouldn't? Uh, Josh Matlow is a city councilor in the city of Toronto. Has been since 2010. And he represents Ward 12 uh, Toronto St. Paul's. I know how busy yesterday was with council. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. My my absolute pleasure. And by the way, I know exactly what you mean about the Scarborough Bluffs. It is yeah. it, you feel like you're in the Caribbean sometimes. It's incredible. <laughs> without 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 uh, without having to go to Pearson Airport, Josh, it should be pointed out. <laughs> totally. So it makes for Wait, you're not going to lose. No one's going to lose your luggage at Bluff at Bluffers Beach. No one will lose your your luggage. <laughs> We're lucky to have it. If you lose your luggage there, that's only on you. We can't blame the airport, the GTA, anybody else. And uh, and and I know so much on the agenda yesterday, and I'm going to get to some of what's on the agenda. But I know you've already made comment about this report um, uh, that Robert Benzie broke about the Ford government wanting to increase uh, power. I know people to, to the Toronto and Ottawa mayors. I know people blanch a little bit and they say U.S. style. I don't know yeah. if it would be that, but what I want, I want a stronger city, but I want the mayor and councillors in concert in having more power compared to the province. Does this fall short of that from what you've read so far? Well, so first of all, um, the reason the reason that it's referred to as U.S. style is because we don't have a strong mayor system in Canada. So we can look to cities like Chicago, New York, et cetera, uh, for examples of that model. Here we have 
you know, what's historically been referred to as a weak mayor system. That's not a description of the mayor. It's simply the system mm-hmm. uh, or a, or a, or a uh, council man- manager system. And, um, you know, let's start by the behavior in which we found out about this. Um, I'm a member of Toronto City Council, and I learned about this through Rob Benzie's article. Um, that's, I mean, you know, like four years ago, when there was a unilateral announcement by the province to change our election in the midst of an election, whether you like, you know, going to 25 councillors or going to more, whatever, that's not the way it should happen. Um, and, and, and similarly, uh, you know, four years later, uh, you know, without any uh, discussion, consultation, uh, any sense of, you know, what Torontonians want for Toronto's democracy, uh, you know, uh, there it is in, in a Star article. And that's great that Rob Benzie broke it, but that's not really a, a good way to, to, to determine the future of our local democracy. Now, um, uh, let's get into the substance. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, in Toronto, of all cities, uh, we don't have to go back very far to remember why this is such a really bad idea. Um, we had a mayor a few years ago who was smoking crack while he was in office. Uh, it was an international uh, situation. Um, he was under an active police investigation. And as dramatic and extreme as that is, it was real, it happened, and it didn't happen long ago. And, uh, you know, no matter, you know, no matter your politics or views on, on various issues, it was critically important that council had the ability to hold uh, Mayor Ford in check at that time to provide mm-hmm. a functional government. And, um, you know, so as they say, you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And I think, you know, when, when you plan for the structure of a healthy democracy, uh, that is just so important. So I want uh, council and the mayor to be able to have healthy debates, a diversity of opinions, and arrive at the best po- possible public policy. Now, we I, I often disagree with what council does, and uh, and I agree with some things they do. And at the end of the day, Torontonians can make a decision uh, on voting day if they like what they did or not. That's accountability. But but to you know, if if this is going in a direction where the mayor, for example, have a veto power, or or really degrade the ability of of city council. To make decisions over its budget or you know pertaining to, to major issues that affect our city i think that degrades accountability and uh and and actually provides too much power to one person in our city and i don't think that's healthy what do you think josh is the win for doug ford to do this what about what, what's his that's benefit really, out of it you know that's 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 a good question and um i'm you know it, it I've I've long given up trying to get into the head of Doug Ford. Um, uh, you know he hasn't explained that. I think one thing he mentioned, uh, either he or I mean this was in passing, but I but I heard that one of the arguments that the government will use is that this is about getting housing built. Because you know it's a, it's a understandably important and popular issue because we're in the midst of a housing crisis. So I understand it's a good PR na- narrative. But the reality is, let's say if that is their argument, well. The province, just like it controls the city of Toronto and our elections and our governance structure, equally can just pass legislation if it chooses to, to say you've got to get on with a number of housing emissions. Uh, in other words, a strong mayor, uh, you know, may or may not do what Doug Ford wants them to do. And frankly, you know, would he be doing this, for example, if David Miller was in power? I don't know. <laughs> I think you know.
I don't think he. I don't think he. I don't think he would have given David Miller any more power. And you know, and this is another point that I think is really important. Under David Miller, um, the city of Toronto, uh, the city of Toronto Act was actually strengthened uh, for the for mayoral powers that allowed Mayor David Miller and then every mayor since to be able to appoint their executive committee chairs. They, there's a lot of influence already baked into the mayor's role that gives the mayor of the day in Toronto lots of carrots and sticks. And you know, to John Tory's credit, I can't think of a controversial um, vote at council that he's lost. Like he, in other words, I, 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 I don't even see the reason for this because if you're a good mayor and if you're able to you know, influence your colleagues and 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 have that power of influence, you're able to be effective. And if you're not a good mayor, then you should rightfully be held in check. But but mm. you know, I, I so so I don't know why Doug Ford is doing this, but frankly, that's the problem, right? There hasn't been a conversation. There's been no mm-hmm. uh no no ability to even understand that other than a an article in the star that 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 didn't have that many details because they haven't been announced. Toronto City Councilor Josh Matlow is our guest on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. I think two things about what you said. One, um, following U.S. cities and politics as I do, I think it's actually important that a mayor of a large city, we're a big city, we can puff our chest out sometimes, we're a great city, we're a big city. I think the mayor should have more influence on what happens within the city limits than the premier. I think we'd make the case Eric Adams has more influence than Kathy Hochul does in New York or Lori Lightfoot in Chicago does compared to the governor of Illinois. But I but I want the mayor and council to be able to do that in concert, in tandem. Yes. And that's what people yes. are looking at here saying that may not necessarily be the case. So if Doug Ford is serious about wanting to empower uh, our big cities, then uh, allow us to have a city charter. Um, allow us to have control over, uh, you know, things that I think most Torontonians assume we have control over already, including our elections, our democratic mm-hmm. framework, land use planning, finances. It, 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 Doug Ford has so much power that, mm-hmm. that, that, that our constitutional framework, not to get too wonky here, but Doug Ford has so much power that if he wanted to rename Toronto Ford Nation, he he legally could do that. I mean, you know, we need to empower our big cities in Canada to be able to have uh, the responsibility and the accountability necessary to mm-hmm. govern local priorities. That should be the focus rather than degrading the the ability mm-hmm. for for city councillors to be able to do their job. I got a couple more for one uh, and and uh, on a meaty topic. Obviously, development charges go up yesterday and they go up exponentially. And I know that spread out over a couple of days. Um, I worry that developers who've got the cash to spend will look and say, we can build in Hamilton or we can build in London or we can build in Kitchener where there's demand for growth there as well. Do you worry it's it's too high up for residential buildings? 46% seems like a massive increase in the development charge or when it all comes out, is it is it not going to discourage development? And the problem will simply be that money for new infrastructure and new infrastructure is needed, sidewalks, uh, parking lots, all that stuff's needed with added homes and places to live. That's just going to get passed on to the consumer. Uh, I, I've, I've seen no evidence that, uh, that most developers are going to be uh, you know, leaving Toronto uh, due to higher uh, development charges. And in fact, uh, you know, the, the, the big challenges that the industry are facing these days, according to, to, to the industry, uh, is, is what we're all you know, having to, to deal with with respect to um, uh, inflation, 
uh, supply chain uh, uh, challenges, et cetera. Um, so, you know, th that, if anything, is going to have a big issue on the industry. But, but the reality is uh, we still need to make sure that we have social services, infrastructure. We need to make sure that, that, that the people who, who move to Toronto are going to be serviced, including the people who live here today. Yeah. And so, you know, it's reasonable. Now, there was an amendment yesterday to ensure that, um, you know, where there are, you know, more units built into like neighborhoods, for example, that we're not, you know, we're not going to make it, uh, you know, difficult for smaller developers to be able to uh, provide more housing opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was a reasonable compromise. But the big developers, I mean, <laughs> their, their big issues uh, aren't as much to do with the development charges and more to do the state of the economy right now. Yeah. Ask most. Yeah. Hey, Josh, I got to leave it there. Thanks very much for weighing in with me today. I always enjoy our conversations and let's hopefully have another one in the next few weeks. Anytime. Thanks, Rick. Josh Matlow joining us on Toronto Today. This has been such an interesting story. I know there's big city council issues now, especially with we're talking about more powers for the mayor, potentially that story with Robert Benzi breaking that. We talked uh, at that top of the hour, obviously, um, housing and affordable housing. There's a homelessness problem. Maybe we didn't know that there was uh, a, an outdoor cat problem. I mean, there, there'd be individual houses and, and apartments and condos that could decide what to do with their cat, I suppose. Um, I grew up out in the country. Our three cats were outside all the time. But since I've been a cat owner, that started around 1995, never let my cat outside. If I'm out there with him, he comes in the backyard sometimes, lays around, chases the odd squirrel, never catches them. Um, and I think that's cool, but I'm supervising the entire time. So it's not like he's out there in the front yard. He's in an enclosed area. Brad Bradford, city councilor, uh, was on the show yesterday, and he says he's never heard that this has been an issue, and he's a little surprised it is. I go door knocking pretty much every Friday, even outside of elections, you know, pandemic restrictions aside. I go door knocking every Friday, and I've never had anybody come up to me and say, you know what, we need cats on leashes. Now, I'm trying not to enjoy all the footage that we're seeing. It's, it's like B, called B-roll in the, in the TV business. There's a ton of B-roll of cats walking out outside on leashes and I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of watching it. I I'm fascinated because I tried one time, one time to walk a cat on a leash, a little bit of a distempered cat. The one I first got in 95 and he was not having it, not having it. Very difficult to do. Phil Nichols, by the way, is the CEO of the Toronto humane society. They do such good work and he joins me right now. Phil, it's great to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time. Anytime, Greg, it's good to be here. What what's your read on this? And and would it it depends probably on the owner and their level of supervision. It depends on the cat and their disposition, doesn't it? Do you have a, a hard and fast opinion or are you sort of in that fleshy middle ground here saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I do have a hard opinion on it. I, I think you've got the, the fleshy middle ground part right to to a certain degree. Right. It, mm -hmm. The main issue that we have with the potential bylaw if we're looking at that is it's going to really unfairly target cat owners um, and it's going to result in a lot of unnecessary death of cats in city shelters um, how how something like that could be implemented and the, the cost to do so um, for very little benefit is of quite concern for toronto humane um, and we've certainly seen what happens in jurisdictions and even in toronto um, when cats were more readily rounded up and brought into to city pounds and shelters and they wound up euthanized um, and that's quite concerning for us. And I get it. It's it's all if you're in if you're in the city proper, not near a lot of wooded areas, um, your concerns are are probably 
cars. Um, but if you, uh, you, you we have a, a big, you know, wooded area behind our house, and my concern would be instantaneously other wildlife, coyotes, foxes, um, e- even some birds that might take a run at, uh, at at Mr. Mittens. That's not his real name. But either way, like that's that's the concern I have. So depending on where you live, it's not that that makes it really difficult to have a blanket policy across such a giant city. Right. I think it would be extraordinarily difficult to try to implement a policy like that. And, and as you said, the different environments and, and areas that cats are out, I mean, there's there's no question it's certainly safer for cats to have an indoor lifestyle. They're not exposed to as many diseases. Um, hazards, um, wildlife or cars, but the, the flip side is there is a lot of cats out there. Um, and if the goal of the policy would be to reduce the number of free roaming cats and cats that are out in our community at large, um, this is not the way to go about doing it. Toronto has long been a leader. Um, and what we refer to as trap new to return programming, a lot of volunteers and, and caretakers across the city that go out and they're feeding those community cats, but they're also collectively trapping them and bringing them into facilities so that they can be um, spayed or neutered, vaccinated, microchipped to provide a little bit more protection and safety, and then brought back to their area. And over time, uh, those practices actually have resulted in the attrition um, and decrease of the number of free roaming cats out in the community. And that's what we're behind as a method to try to reduce the number that are out there. Yeah, we got our, we got two boy brothers. We only have the one now, but we got them in 2011 and they both were microchipped and, and we felt really good about that process. And that's where I'd recommend uh, people go is go get a new cat, go get a new kitten at a, at a humane society, do it that way. Um, we're speaking with Phil Nichols, the CEO of the Toronto Humane Society. So put you on the spot. Um, would you vote? Would you vote against this proposal then to mandate cats on leashes and just say each owner has to make its individual decision? I think we absolutely would vote mm-hmm. against that. You know, there's there's a lot of better ways to try to get to the end that they're doing, and and many of those ways don't result in the unfair targeting of people that don't have the funds or, or finances to to be able to one leash or take the time to leash or get microchipped. But if they do get impounded, going back to the shelter and trying to pay the fines to bring their cats back home. Do some cats, in your experience, like the leash? Do you hear from pet owners? Do you know pet owners that? They do it. They, uh, I don't have anybody. Nobody walks by my house with a cat on a leash, but I think some people somehow have cats that have the disposition to say, this is my chance. I'm going to make this work. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly cats out there that like leashes. And I think the key part with that is they've, they've been socialized and desensitized and conditioned to those leashes from a young age, um, similar to Mm -hmm. dogs and that's people and, and owners that are taking the time when the cats are quite young to start getting them used to it. Um, and training them all kinds of other tricks. They're very similar to dogs that way. They can pick up um, and learn a lot of cool things, but it's it's not the standard kind of thing that you do. Mm. When no, you do no, no, no. Um, I, I know you probably put your, you, you know, you, you have to wear your heart on, a sleeve, on your sleeve to do wh- what you do. And I think to work at the Humane Society, uh, people that volunteer at the Humane Society. So um, beyond, there's been some heartbreak during the pandemic and post-pandemic regarding pets being, abandoned or returned it's awful um how bad a problem is it what are you seeing sort of if you will on the front lines with people getting pets during the pandemic and then deciding oh after two years i don't want the pets it's enraging isn't it more than heartbreaking yeah and i'm I'm really glad you bring that up because it, it is something that is heartbreaking and it's heartbreaking for us to see every day but um although the numbers are up for shelter intakes you know in toronto across ontario and canada right now over 2021 
the number of um, animals that are surrendered by their owners going into local shelters are still sitting around 60% of what they were pre-pandemic. And that side of it gives us a lot of hope at Toronto Humane. I think it, mm. it shows that proactive and preventative solutions are working to keep people from bringing their animals back in and making sure they have the resources that they need. But the challenges of accessibility and affordability of vet care are still quite high. And the shortage of veterinary professionals and veterinarians and registered veterinary technicians across the country is very real. And it's going to lead to a mm. growing problem um, along that vein. I, I got about 40 seconds. If somebody wants a new cat or dog, what's the best first step they could take? Um, look at your local rescue. Look at your local Humane Society. You can check us out at www.tronohumanesociety.com. Thank you so much for the time. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation, Phil, and uh, let's stay in touch. I, I, I love animals. I love them to death, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. I want to have more conversations about uh, about people adopting properly and taking care of them properly. Thanks for doing this. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Phil Nichols, uh, CEO of the Toronto Humane Society. We've got our 4 for 4 quiz, and Sheba Siddiqui, our quiz mistress today. Mistress? Eh? Well, that, I put quiz in front. I don't... I've never been yeah. called mistress. Is there a I'll dash there? Sure. Gord, should I put a dash there? No, I don't Should think I so. retract? Do we need to dump? Okay, fine. No, I'll take it. Take out the quiz. <laughs> Let me just, I'll be the mistress. No, 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 no. <laughs> we have to okay. put quiz mistress in there. What is on our minds? <laughs> okay, what is on our minds right now, guys? Top of mind, heat. Yeah. So we've had some of the hottest record-breaking temperatures ever this year. We're going to be doing a quiz on Toronto temperature. And some Canadian temperatures. I love it. I love it. I All love right. this number stuff. Okay. Okay. The hottest temperature ever recorded in Toronto happened on July 10th, 1936. It was 48 degrees, 41 degrees, or 53 degrees. Dave. I, I think I'm going to go with 48 on this one. Gord. Let's go super scorcher and say 53. 53. Whoa. <laughs> the dust right. coming from the farms with That's uh, right. You know. Spontaneously combusting. You have to keep all those hogs in everybody's right. backyard uh, hydrated. You can't let those hogs they uh, fall to by smell the like wayside. Bacon. The, yeah, sows. <laughs> 41. It's that's 48 is too high. 41's the answer. Okay, Greg's bang on. Yeah. 41 degrees in 1936, hottest temperature ever recorded in Toronto. They have humidity back then? That's a good question. I don't no, even think no we did way the recording it. I don't even think we did the Humidex last century. Am I wrong? This is a modern day 21st century invention. Uh, we, we did it, I think. Yeah. Did we? I think so. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> not back in 1936, but we certainly did it last I century. I didn't think we did it when we were kids. I didn't think we talked about Humidex temperatures. No, we no I don't care. feel like we did. No, not as kids. It was just hot. It was hot. Okay. Okay. Let's see how well you guys know Toronto architecture. Which building in Toronto tells you the weather? The Manulife Building, the CN Tower, the Canada Life Building. Gord. Canada Life, I think. Greg. Um, yeah, the Canada Life Building. <laughs> Sounds so confident. <laughs> Dave. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Molly in Canada Life. Oh, you guys are right. It's a Canada Life building. The antenna flashes up and down depending on the temperature change. And that's it's right at University in Queen for anybody who wants to go check that out. On the 401, when you head towards London, um, so the west, the westbound 401, there's a Schneider's sign, like Schneider's hot dogs. 
And it always has the time and temperature, but it looks like it was built in 1968 and nobody's touched it since then. <laughs> it probably was. And they probably send a guy out there once a year to change it from daylight. Say, they're like, oh my God, it's that time again. I got to get to the Schneider's Does it still say Fahrenheit on it? No. <laughs> so that part has been modernized okay. a little I, bit. I do have a, an interesting story about Canada life. My oh, tell us. wife's great, great, great grandfather, I think, Hugh C. Baker, founder of uh, Canada Life. Wow. So there really? you go. Yeah, money's all gone, unfortunately. <laughs> How but, did that uh, Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, top of the hour. How did that happen? Well, Dave's a baller, and we didn't know. Someone's no, spending too, too vociferously. Us, trust me. Do you get, like, free transactions? or? <laughs> no, actually, no. We're, we're not even customers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't admit that. I do think the CN Tower should have the temperature. I think if you go yeah. out on that, on that walk, like with the orange suits, you should, like, change the temperature. It should be, like... We're supposed to do that. Remember, that's our team building exercise. Oh yeah, gosh. no, we're not doing that. No. You our, guys are so boring. That's yeah. our team splitting apart it's exercise. Too yeah. Yeah. Boring. Okay, question number three. <laughs> We've got thunderstorms coming up throughout the week. So according to Canada.ca, the irrational fear of thunder is called brontophobia, spheric phobia, coronophobia. Greg. Spheric phobia. Dave. No, he sounded really confident nah. with that one. I'm going to go with brontophobia, though. Oh. Gord. That's what I was going to go with, brontophobia. It's like oh. a dinosaur. Yeah. Dave and Gord, you're right. It's yeah. brontophobia. And it usually happens in children who are scared of thunder, but it can also affect some adults as well. Is, there, is lightning the same? Is there a phobia? Yes, there is a phobia. Actually, it's, I think, the number one phobia related to temperature or I'm seeing it now. Astrophobia is, is an intense yes. fear of thunder and lightning. That's a cool oh, name, so Astrophobia. Yeah. It is Astrophobia. You need a Thunder Buddy, though, right? Yeah. Just like in the movie Ted. That's right. Can I take tomorrow off with a with uh, a condition of Astro with a severe case of Astrophobia? Not after you're just saying it now. Oh, no. If you're hungover, yes. Okay, never mind. <laughs> if you're hungover, I've got debilitating <laughs> fear. <laughs> I've got debilitating fear of lightning and a hangover yeah. on the same evening. Yeah, thunderstorms <laughs> make me drink. Okay, that's. <laughs> You, you, you got to get through the night yeah. when, when you hear those, uh, the, you know, uh, when you hear those crackles. Yeah. yeah. Jack Daniels is my thunder buddy. <laughs> Not bad, Dave. <laughs> okay, last question. Which country is colder, Russia or Canada? Dave. Why me? What? Um, <laughs> I got to say Russia. Greg. Canada is. Gord. Let's go Russia. Okay, Greg's right. Oh, Canada is one. colder by a smidge. This is according to CanadianGeographic.ca. With our average daily annual temperature. Okay, you know what? Do we have 30 seconds? Yeah, yeah. Bonus question. What do you guys think would be our average daily national annual temperature? 14. Mm. Average. 14. 14? Okay. That, no. It's not, not that, that high. high. No, right. it would be like... Uh, I was going to say nine. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna... across the country. Keep that in mind. No. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go for like seven. Okay, you're all wrong. It's minus 5.6. That's oh. baloney. Yeah. That's grade A baloney. Somebody's no, <laughs> think of the territories. Yeah, think, I think about Yellow northern knife. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It gets, gets what cold about up Point Pelee, though? Why yeah. are we so the, eliminating yeah, the Point Pelee? Tuk Toyak cancels out Point Pelee. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> it really does. 
They don't. You can't have Boblo Island from the seventies and Tuck Toyak Tuck. Point Beatles isn't like the French Riviera isn't on the same parallel. Yes, exactly. All I was thinking was Sheba's Russia Canada question was how like Rocky Four, right? He's got to fight um, <laughs> yeah. Drago and he goes to Russia. Russia. But they filmed that in like the in, in BC's mountains. They filmed that <laughs> in like Whistler. <laughs> that makes sense. So he's <laughs> like, why do I want to? Why do I want to lift logs and pull my alcoholic brother-in-law around on a sled in actual Russia when yeah. we can film it's it in? British BC. Yeah, I'm done with that. And Paul, he was. Let's not be like, oh, that's yeah. a bad idea. He's a bad, I have no idea why they kept him around. Yeah, the extricated for the family. Great quiz, Shiva. Thanks. Brought to you by your quiz mistress. That's right. Very pleased to welcome on Urs here now. Uh, excited to chat with her. We've obviously had her uh, on the morning show before, and she's up relatively early for us. Urs, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Just awesome. I mean, trying to avoid the heat, trying to stay as cool as I can. Is it uh, is it ha- having a negative impact on your existence these last couple of days? You know what? I was actually just thinking we haven't had enough hot days now we're having. <laughs> so I think just enjoy them before we get hit by a snowstorm again. I think about two things. I think I think about the January snowstorm when it, it, it when the DVP and the gardener are closed, like like precedent setting snowstorm where all the buses stopped working and it was awful for like the whole next week. And then I think about April or where you're like, OK, it's not January, February, March anymore. But then in April, it's like snowing sideways, uh, like five or six days in a row in April. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We can handle a couple days of heat uh, and, and it's summer and, and we deserve it so let's let's use it and we definitely need those hot days to go to the beach you got it you got it and people like me i'm a pasty guy nine months of the year so these three months are really important to me to put a little color on my face and my arms i gotta tell you it's important we've had uh, you know a couple years of covid and even restrictions going to the beach so i don't want any restrictions going to the beach this year you got it you got it exactly let's not let's yeah stop it with the white circles where we have to sit with our our loved ones or our dates or whatever in the white circles in trinity bellwoods we're we're done never again never again never again (laughs) um we got a few minutes here and and i know you're gonna you're gonna stay with us after the uh the news update and we thank you for that um the hockey canada stuff you don't have to be a sports fan you don't have to 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 you know watch the world juniors to just understand how serious all this is. And when Justin Trudeau is talking about big issues, economic issues, and he takes two minutes aside to pound on Hockey Canada leadership over what in essence is a is a fund to pay out alleged or 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 victims of sexual assault, this is a problem. I, I don't know where this all goes, but I said it a month ago, or is this organization may need a name change, a logo change, the leadership, they may need to burn this thing to the ground. Like like Penn State University after their scandal. Yeah, I think it's it's really bad news for for you know Canadians. Canadians love hockey, and when there is a problem with our hockey culture, it impacts um, a lot of things. You know, this is a, a beloved game for many Canadians who sit and watch, and you know, with their kids, and you know, you play hockey on the streets. This is like you know how you engage with your kids, and it, it's just a really it's really bad news all around and it, it just shows the um, the dark culture of ma- sport males sports and the concept of um, you know sexual abuse and, and bullying I think um, there's a lot of things that we need to reflect on and I think for number one I think for the prime minister of our country to address it uh, as you said you know take time out talking about the big issues and address this issue, I think um, speaks volumes about 
his leadership, um, you know, regardless of who you support mm-hmm. politically, I think, um, you know, this speaks volumes. And I, I, I see Marie Hanen on, on the case and, and uh, I know that it's, it's going to get addressed. I, I, I'm confident and maybe this is a pivotal point in time for us to actually um, address some of the issues behind rape culture and and sports. I hope so. Kahal Kelly wrote this in the Globe and Mail today, and I think this is a problem too, or is the people who are in charge when the bad things happen should not be the ones in charge of figuring out how to fix it. And we'd say that for anything, wouldn't we? In politics, in education, in business. When it happens on your watch, why why are you the one that gets to sort it out? And nobody's resigned from Hockey Canada, I should point out. Yeah, yeah. No, correct, correct. Like, you know, this, this needs to be addressed, and it can't be with a, a, a fund that's kept, you know, for this purpose, you know, and then, like, gets swept under the rug. Um, you know, I, I guess it didn't make news until, it, you know, their federal funding got cut. And, you know, that's a good thing. I think we're we're putting money where, where our mouth is when it comes to addressing uh, situations like this. Yeah, they they made they made an organization accountable, and and there's a lot you can criticize the liberal government for, and Justin Trudeau for accountability and self reflection. Th- they did the right thing, and they didn't hesitate three weeks ago uh, doing this. Random testing resumed, not at Pearson Airport, but random testing of international travels travelers. It stopped on June 11th, and yesterday was July 19th, and for some reason. And I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out. There's not an election coming. I think some COVID policies in the winter and COVID protests of policies were kind of politically motivated. I could point to all three parties in the province and say, I think you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to cater to people who are more scared of COVID. You're trying to cater to people who've moved past COVID. But this is one I can't figure out. I saw the word random and I thought, yeah, this is random haphazard testing of international travelers coming into Pearson Airport. And I thought, I just praise the uh, liberal government, so here I go criticizing them. For, they, they seem to be randomly, haphazardly supporting the tourism industry and people who want to travel. It's, it's, I, it, I don't know what the win is here to restart this five weeks later. And why just international flights? As if you couldn't get COVID in Vancouver and bring it back to Toronto. We're not eradicating this virus. And this policy strikes me as, as being from about, I don't know, 20 months ago. Yeah, it's uh, it was nice to see the random testing end, and now for it to start again just sort of makes me wonder, um, you know, what's going on internationally, uh, you know, with COVID, and and is there a fear that, you know, we did hear something way back that you know there is a fear of COVID coming back in September. Just wait, wait for it. Um, I don't know. I know that um, there's a lot of uh, activity happening internationally with people traveling. Uh, and, you know, people getting COVID. I, I know a lot of people who are getting COVID here at mm-hmm. home, you know, attending weddings and, and events. So I think it's um, it's not in the headlines, but it's it's there. People are getting COVID. It's a, it's a lesser sort of degree of COVID uh, with just cold and mild symptoms, but um, it hasn't gone away. And I, I don't know if I completely disagree with the random selecting um, with the COVID tests at the airport, I, I think we might need to keep that going. I think there's an, I, I agree with two things, what you said. I, I, there's an element of understanding um, the levels of COVID in the community. I, I understand that. The, the thing I worry about is there's an element of 
you know, we started using this phrase probably two summers ago, hygiene theater. There's a, there's almost doing things to look like you're doing, like we've still got all this plexiglass up at, at certain, you know, stores you walk into and you think, what's the point of the plexiglass now at this point? There's, you, you can, you, you hand your cash or debit card under the plexiglass and it doesn't even cover the entire. So there's a lot of these things that, that sort of just look like it's just, Hey, it looks like we're trying. And, and yeah. I worry that I worry that the, the government may have made a testing deal of some sort where they're like, well, we've got them. We may as well use them. And on random people, it makes sense, I suppose. Probably. Well, we know COVID health, uh, switch health, sorry, um, you know, is uh, the, the company used by the airport. So there's probably money left for them to keep using them. And, you know, maybe that's, that's what's happening here. But um, I, I, it might be just a combination of, you know, local COVID cases going up um, and are still existing and a lot of international exposure. You know, I, I think I'm hoping, you know, that it's really just to keep our, our you know, Canadian citizens safe uh, at home. How many how much I, I'll say this, I think it's I think there's some brand damage. People are going to travel and, and I, I think. There's been a little bit of a mischaracterization. Oh, too bad that you can't get on your flight and go for your vacation. You're so privileged. There's people, Urs, as you know, that are back to traveling for work or have always traveled for work. Some people, I'd say 90% of the trips I've ever taken, it's been a work assignment. And uh, and and I, I think there was a little bit of that mischaracterization. The second thing is I think there's been some brand damage done to Pearson Airport, where I've talked to people in in my little you know world who say, I'll I'll fly Porter from City Airport. I'll drive to Buffalo. I'll even drive to Detroit. Anything to avoid Pearson Airport. And that's not great for the long term, is it? No, for sure it's not. And it's it definitely is an embarrassment on the international front as well. Um, you know, we're we're starting to see a lot more travelers. Canadians have been locked down for two years. This is the summer that they can finally go out and travel. And, you know, I even have a family uh, a family trip planned. Um, uh, to the beach next month. And, uh, you know, the ha- half of our people at Aki said, I think we're not going to go this time. We're going to wait till a little later. You know, people are, are split, um, you know, three ways. It seems right now, the people that want to travel between canceling their flight, changing their flight, um, or just going ahead and, and taking the chances. And, and, you know, like for me, you know, when I see those pictures of suitcases along the, the carrier area, the baggage area, I think, well, I stopped taking, I stopped checking in luggage a long time ago. I realized, you know, when it gets lost in a flight, it's not worth it. I'm just going to pack, pack light and just take my carry on. And this way I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, finding my luggage. It's so funny you say that because it gives me so much anxiety seeing that video. And even when you think you can carry, sometimes you think you can carry on and then you get right to the actual gate, the doorway of the plane. And they're like, um, just leave it here. We're going to put it down underneath. And you're like, uh, like anytime you don't see it and don't know exactly where it is, because I've had lost luggage before that adds to the stress. Even if you sit there and order yourself a lovely glass of wine, you're still feeling that stress on that flight. <laughs> Sure. I try to avoid that. I just try to get through with my little carry on. <laughs> yeah, it, it is like that. Uh, Urs here is joining us on Toronto today. So you've seen this as well about rents. And we were talking with uh, City Councilor Josh Matlow about it. And 
and where it's at. There's two things I can't figure out. I don't have an easy answer for this. I don't know why the vacancy rate in Toronto is so small. I'm hearing about more people leaving the city, young families leaving the city, people working from home so they may not need to be in the city. But it's a really expensive city to rent in, and yet there's demand. And then it's obviously harder to buy a home than ever. And I think you and I both know that's going to be a massive, massive issue the next federal election. But I thought it should have been a bigger issue last federal election. Um, are, are there is there anything in your mind that you go, um, there can be something to help the rental market, even in, in the city of Toronto itself? Well, I always hear about both like the provincial and the federal governments putting together um, you know, groups where they uh, try to address the uh, market, the real estate market. And um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's really working right now because, you know, we, we still have high rental costs. We have, um, you know, people, the, the market is a little scary. I know rental prices going down and it's a buyer's market right now. But um, for those who are renting, like even, uh, you know, right now I'm renting mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they wanted to increase it by 200. And I thought, wow, that's like from 2200 to 2400. That's a pretty big hike. Um, so I, I, and I, I bet I, you, I bet your salary hasn't gone up 10, they're asking for a 10% rent hike and people's aren't exactly getting 10% raises, uh, oh. left, right and center in this day and age. People are not getting those rental increases. No, I mean, those, uh, wage increases, mm-hmm. definitely. But, um, you know, we have, um, you know, we've had during COVID, I guess the there were a lot of vacancies. And so um, people finding a place to stay, you know, whether it was a basement apartment or whatever, they were able to find it. But now uh, people are coming back and you have international students coming back to school um, and you have families traveling. And, and so the, the rental market is now seeing... Um, you know, a, a decrease in availability. So, uh, you know, I think at yeah. this, with rental prices going up, a lot of people are also considering let's let's buy. But then you've got increased mortgage rates that that are impacting that decision as well. Yeah, if you waited till now and you and you had the means to do it two years ago, you're kicking yourself by not getting in. Uh, let alone five years ago. It's just it's just one of those things. Urz, I got to leave it there. I hope we can chat again really soon. Thanks for making time for our audience. They like hearing from you, and, and I hope we can do it again in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, my pleasure. You bet. Urz here, our guest on Toronto Today. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 a.m. You can hear us on the Radio Player Canada app at 640toronto.com or as well on the AM dial at 6.40. Thanks so much for listening.